welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast, coming to you somewhat live via the miracles of telecommunications and uh, computer technology. Now, this where, is Nate Larkin talking on cell phone talking on from cell Franklin, phone from, Tennessee. From your driveway? Yeah. Are you in your car? Where are you at? No, no, no. I'm not in my car. I'm actually walking in my driveway. I'm walking to stay warm, trying to stay in the sun a little bit. Fall has arrived in Franklin, Tennessee. And is it beautiful? Yeah, it really. It's starting to get very, very pretty. The trees, the leaves are turning. It's going to be a gorgeous autumn. You don't really get this kind of beautiful autumn out there in the Central Coast, no, do you? No. I mean, I grew up with you know leaves falling in my yard, so I had to rake them. But uh, just it's it's nothing. Nothing like you guys have fall. Yeah, so yeah, I, I yeah. remember being in the the Smoky Mountains with with my dad when I brought him out there, and we drove oh, through yeah. the autumn through the Smoky Mountains. That's pretty stinking impressive. <laughs> it is for a week or two. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, I'm glad that you. And then get comes to... winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm glad you get to enjoy this. <laughs> autumn is my favorite time of the year. I don't know. I like when it starts getting a little cold, and I. Have to wear pants. Yeah. I haven't worn pants. I've literally maybe worn pants three times in the last six months. And you know, you miss pants at some point. All right, but you do wear shorts at least. Oh, that was a question. Who? So, uh, um, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay. So we had our interview with Mike McCarg, the Science Mike, uh, about Science Mike. the question of yeah. certainty. I think that was up uh, probably eight weeks ago, ten weeks ago. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, but when I did that interview with him, I actually had done a second interview uh, on the question of questions, because that is such a – in the Christian world, we can get very afraid of questions in the church yep. world. Questions yes. can be a condemnable act. So, right, sure it can. So I wanted to explore that a little, but uh, give me give me some of your thoughts on that before we get into this interview. Well, you know, I think it is a, a mark of Christian cowardice that um, we're afraid to ask a question or allow other people to ask questions unless we can be assured. Uh, that a proper and acceptable and safe and gospel-driven and orthodox answer is going to come out of it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't, but it shuts down conversation uh, and uh, makes it uh, definitely, I believe, complicates our ability to relate to those people that God put us on the, war on the earth and left us on the earth uh, to make contact with. So... Uh, I think it's time for us to uh, take a deep breath and um, ask ourselves, why are some questions out of bounds in the church? Why can't we have difficult conversations? And you know what? I think this is a great setup, by the way, Aaron, for next week's guest who has asked uh, a bunch of un uh, unorthodox questions. Uh, unwelcome questions. He's reached some unwelcome conclusions uh, and has found that uh, most of the Christian world will now not even talk to him. We're going to talk to him next week when Frankie Schaefer comes on the podcast. Francis, in the meantime, Francis Schaefer's son. 
Frankie Schaefer. Yeah. Yeah, well, if nobody else will talk to him, that's perfect for our show. We'll talk to him. He now <laughs> describes himself as an atheist who believes in God. So that should be interesting. Oh, we can at least have a conversation. And that, so, uh, that kicks off very interestingly into our uh, our Baptist who became an atheist only to become a follower of Jesus. This is like right. a theme. It is. It is. There is some fluidity, isn't there, in our thinking. Did, did we Since miss we're... something, Nate? Neither of us became an atheist at any point in our life. It seems like this is important for many people's process. <laughs> well, I never became an out-and-out out atheist, but I'll tell you what. I was in conversation with, an atheist, with a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine. Last summer, I was out in Colorado. This guy, I grew up on a Bible, on the, on the campus of a Bible school. And this guy's dad was the president of the Bible school. I never attended the Bible school, but this guy did, went on and graduated, but then went on to pursue uh, higher education. Eventually, I think, got a doctorate, wound up teaching philosophy at a state institution in Colorado. So we met for lunch, and over the course of the meal, he dropped what I'm sure he thought was a nuclear bomb and told me that he is now an atheist. Uh, and I told him, well, you know, heck, I'm an atheist about 50% of the time. And he, uh, I mean, if I look objectively at the way I think and act and react, I do that about half the time as if there is no God. Um, and then he got kind of a rueful look on his face and said, well, I guess, I'm a theist about five percent of the time, so we had a little bit. We had a little bit of ground there. That that that's actually brilliant on a, a couple levels. One, it it did create an amazing common ground where where he wanted to paint some black and white lines in his own life, but your vulnerability yeah. uh, said, "Oh no, where's where's your gray area?" Yeah. But also yeah. the fact that you're saying that we as Christians can be practical atheists while still living uh, under the auspices of our creed. Right. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You're sure, I will profess to be a theist 100% of the time. Uh, but I'll tell you what, one of the things that I was faced with when I got into recovery from my addiction, and, you know, these people who were not, you know, who uh, some of them just wouldn't pass the orthodoxy tests, told me that I had to start believing in God. Uh, <laughs> And I had to face the fact that there are big holes in my faith. Wow. That for all you know, for all my big talk about being a Christian, uh, it was abundantly clear that I didn't. If I did believe in God, it was pretty clear I didn't trust Him, and didn't think He loved me. Hmm. So, well, I am excited just uh, for next week and to get in this conversation on hard truths to prepare us yeah. for next week. So uh, we will be right back with Mike McCarg telling a little of his story and then getting into this topic of questions. Next of kin. 
right. Well, here we are. Uh, Mike, Science Mike, Mike McCarg, you are an odd and interesting man. Who are you? I'm a, a Southern Baptist who became an atheist. And in the process of um, working through questions uh, and working through concerns I had with Scripture, I found out pretty quick that there was a whole list of um, banned questions about Scripture <laughs> in, in the evangelical tradition. Uh, it was not um, safe. It was very off-putting if I were to ask uh, about biblical contradictions, not with science, but with the Bible contradicting the Bible. And if I didn't accept the first uh, answer from apologetics, um, it was really frowned on. Uh, so I figured out first to start asking questions, uh, quote, for a friend, unquote. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then when that didn't work, I just started asking the Internet and not real people. Because Google doesn't care. There is no unsafe question for Google. Google will happily answer any question you have it's, um, it's with true. all knowledge and no insight, right? Uh, Google knows everything and has experienced nothing. Um is an option so it's really fun that way <laughs> now i'm i'm well, curious google does have the safe search op option which is a which is a nice feature but uh i'm curious if anybody directly made you feel like or told you something that said don't ask these questions or it was just like a feeling you grew up with having grown up in the church how specific was your knowledge or understanding that these questions are banned Oh, well, I mean, so it's, I'm a lifelong Christian. I was saved when I was seven. Um, and, but I'm, I've always been a science nerd. So I definitely had like the grade school experience, a Sunday school teacher saying, uh, no, seriously, stop asking about dinosaurs in the ark. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, it just, so, so you, on some level, culturally, you become aware if you grow up in the church and you're part of the church, that some questions aren't okay. Now, in terms of explicitly as an adult, um, there were a few people, yeah, who, who have told me um, that my questions are the wrong questions or that I'm looking at the issue the wrong way or that um, what I'm doing is not questioning facts or the Bible, but questioning the sovereignty and will of God. Now, Telling someone they're questioning the sovereignty and will of God, I think is 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 pretty directly saying no. Don't ask that question. Right. Not not to <laughs> you're mention you're not saying you're threatening me. You're saying you're threatening God. So there there is definitely this cultural idea that some questions are not okay in the church. I want to I want to just say there's something underneath. Uh, because that that I can hear those words happening in church. Uh, but really, people were telling you what your heart was. I mean, that's to tell you that you're asking the wrong question because you're questioning the sovereignty and will of God. That's that's telling you what your heart is concerning that question. And that's pretty crazy. I mean, you know, if we step back for a moment, that's insane to tell somebody what their heart is. Did that click for you, or did you just believe them?
Um, and I knew that I, in good faith, was praying and asking God for answers and truth. And it was interesting to me. A couple times um, I had other uh, guys tell me uh, when I would ask a question about Scripture, they would ask me about unconfessed sin in my life. <laughs> like there was some correlation with uh, wondering about Genesis 1 and uh, having you know some habitual sin in your life. Um, as opposed to, you know, literally just trying to put two and two together in good faith with God. So, um, there, you know, and, and it's not, I don't want to just pick on evangelicals, right? They're every tradition, every faith community has their big red line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a progressive, in a progressive Christian experience, you might run into ban questions when it comes to uh, sinfulness or it comes to uh, damnation, you know, the, uh, e- even being curious about those topics in, in other circles um, will raise a red flag. And, and let's even get out of church for a second. Um, I've seen atheists catch no limits on the amount of pain fellow atheists will put them through when they discuss matters of spirituality, for lack of a better word. Um, there's one atheist in particular, Sam Harris, right. uh, who's a very smart guy and a brain scientist, and constantly gets run through the ringer because he says that the term spirituality should not be thrown out, that there are experiences that people have that are perfectly explainable by science, but from a subjective perspective, um, you know, scientific language doesn't do a good job of, of describing or, or helping people feel fulfilled. And just by raising that question, he's run into the limits of what his community is willing to hear. And I think that is partially because human beliefs are so closely identified with social identity. And so when you begin to question the dominant beliefs of any group on some level so in terms of social psychology, you are questioning the validity of that group and therefore also the validity and the foundation of its members. Um, and people freak out about that. It's, it's interesting because that I totally agree with what you're saying, but it makes the idea of tolerance a real misnomer. There are not many tolerant groups in this country. Uh, I think uh, I listen a lot to Penn Jillette. He's one of my favorite atheists. And I he has said repeatedly he would rather talk to a devout Christian or a devout uh, person of any faith than someone who's trying to be tolerant because usually their tolerance means they just don't have any idea what they believe or any convictions about it. And in that way, he is showing the kind of tolerance that most groups be it spiritual, not, whatever, don't exhibit. And yet that word tolerance is kind of thrown around pretty lightly. But when it comes to this asking questions, I think it does, man, it does attack that identity. So what is the identity that Christians are trying to keep? And in your experience, what were they afraid of losing? Wow. Um, Well, first of all, can I talk about tolerance for a second? Yeah, go for it. I love that. <laughs> so so tolerance, tolerance to me 
is nothing more than holding deep the idea that people have a right to believe what they believe. To me, that's it. That's all tolerance is. I hold very deeply the right of any person to believe what they believe. That means it's important to me that atheists can be atheists. It's important to me that Christians can be Christians, that Republicans can be Republicans, Democrats, Democrats, Muslims, Muslims, that whatever a person believes is their right. And I accept, support, and would fight for that right. And I don't fight about much. (laughs) But I'll definitely fight for someone's right to believe something. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, I accept the actions of those beliefs. So if someone's beliefs told them that um, everyone over the age of 65 should be um, executed by the government to preserve resources, um, well, you, you have a right to hold that belief. You don't have a right to project that belief onto my grandfather, <laughs> right? Okay. So, the, the, you know, this sort of tolerant, intolerant, um, sometimes I think becomes this this semantic loop. Really what we're talking about is a very core idea to the American experiment that people have a right to believe what they will and congregate and fellowship with other people who believe the same. Now, in terms of uh, where the boundary lines live in any given community, um, it's any belief which is foundational to that group. So what I found was that for many of my good conservative evangelical friends questioning um, the age of the universe as described in Genesis 1 and projected and calculated much later um, in the form of young earth creationism, I found that it was actually more shocking to many members of my community than if I asked questions about marriage equality or... Uh, even questions about the very existence of God. It was it was more threatening to many people to ask questions about how old the earth was or whether evolution happens. Um, so again, I think like every group has their own um, dynamically formed sort of don't ask those questions line, which is why I think seekers... Uh, and anyone can become a seeker at any time if they begin to evaluate what they believe, sometimes get confused and frustrated by the church because what's acceptable in one congregation is not necessarily in another congregation across town, even if those two congregations are the same denomination, even if those churches are um, part of a, a central church organization with established doctrine. Um, you know, your more high church traditions, mm-hmm. uh, there's still a great deal of deviation from site to site about what can and cannot be discussed. Okay, let me ask you, I mean, you're getting into the nuances of truly being tolerant or, uh, see, I even like that because you're essentially saying, uh, this is how I will tolerate you, which doesn't sound like a very nice thing. I'd rather be loved than tolerated. But... The nuance <laughs> of the word, there, there is this line where I think a lot of people would agree with what you're saying. They could pay lip service to it, 
but is there an attitude that has to come with it for you truly to be tolerant? Is there a certain point where you're saying, yeah, you can believe whatever you want, but now my attitude towards you, and maybe this is for the people receiving questions from someone in their church, they can say, I'll tolerate you, but where is the the attitude line where now, yeah, even though your words are right, you are still being a jackass? So tolerance is a necessity for democracy to work. Tolerance is not necessarily an ingredient of a given community. Um, in fact, tolerance would be antithetical to some psychological group models, right? Um, tolerance is not going to play really well in a military environment. Okay. You, you, yeah, you can't right. spend a lot of time tolerating insubordination in the military, right? right. It would be antithetical to the organization's makeup. So what we're really asking here is, is tolerance a core component? Should tolerance be a core component of religious community? Um, and I think it should. I think that the church succeeds when it is safe, when it is a place where people can work out what they believe without fear of rejection, without fear of mockery or persecution. Um, I go to a church where um, there are many atheists in active attendance, and they are fully accepted as part of the community. Um, now, where does that break down? Asking questions, searching for meaning, is never uh, a destructive process. There is, it's a deconstructive process, but it's not a destructive yeah. process. There's a, there's a difference in those two things. Yeah, that's great. When you push tolerance to its limit, when you push community past its breaking point, is when you are hurting people intentionally and regularly. Um, you know, misunderstandings always happen. Disagreements happen. Arguments happen. But when one person is intentionally and on an ongoing basis hurting others, in order to protect community, you have to address that. Um, so if it goes from questioning ideas to questioning an individual and their behaviors uh, in a mean spirit and persistently, even when others have, have asked you to lay off, uh, that goes beyond simple tolerance and into dysfunction or unhealth.
the idea of questions, we want to protect people's process of discovery, knowing that anywhere that we have arrived that we feel is good in our beliefs came from a journey, everybody's. So assuming everybody else should just arrive where I've arrived at without a journey is just silly. But questions have been abused in a couple ways. One, questions have been used to cause division that perhaps aren't even real questions. The questioner already knows what they believe, but they're using questions to be subversive in an inappropriate way. And at a personal level, have is it, see, I'm saying, is it possible? But I, um, that's not a real question. That's pretty funny because I think it is possible for people to hide behind <laughs> questions uh, for huge chunks of their life, all their life. I mean, as a pastor, I encounter people that say, well, I just, I have this question. I'm like, seriously, I don't think you've actually tried to find an answer to that, but you love having the question so that you don't have to get to a, an unsafe or scary place. So we've, we've got the divisive or undermining or subversive thing that questions uh, can be used tactically for. And for that personal, like, how do you, how do you register those two? So questions as weapons. Yeah, I guess I've seen that happen. Uh, and then I go to my number one motto when I have to deal with other human beings, which is communicate honestly without hostility. That is such a better motto than mine. Mine's just, they're all stupid, which gives me a lot of tolerance, <laughs> but man, yours is way better. <laughs> I love people. I love people deeply. So, um, but in my case, my deep love for people in the past has convinced me to not say things that should be said. And so it's from a hard lesson of trying to keep people happy instead of whole that I figured out the best thing for me and for them is if I communicate honestly and without hostility. So if I was in a situation where I thought someone was asking questions solely to try to divide people and to mask their true intentions, I would go to that person and honestly, without any hostility, I would rehearse it, I would get all the venom out of it, and I would say, it seems to me that your questions have an ulterior motive tell me, am I right? Am I wrong? And what can we do about it? It just, it seems easier for me to live in community when uh, we just deal directly with people. All right. How about the personal one where, uh, where people hide behind questions so they don't have to do the true deconstructive work? Well, you can't lead people where they don't want to go. So uh, I answer people's questions. If they have a question, I'm going to answer it to the best of my ability with the disclaimer that uh, I'm wrong about a lot of things. I just don't know which things. Um, and so I just, I don't have a, any anxiety about just putting things out there. Um, and if, and I, I know people like that, that, that they say they're struggling with this or struggling with that. And I give them the best word that I have. Um, and maybe my answer just seems like a lot of work, but I can't control other people. All I can do is let be, them be them and and do the best I can with with my life and my attempt to, you know, drop my nets and, and follow this rabbi. <laughs> so uh, I, I can't spend a lot of time uh, worrying about or thinking about whether they are going to do the hard work themselves. That's really up to them and has nothing to do with me. 
And that, that is an interesting point. I think, uh, that, that can worry us far more than we're in control to deal with. So that's, that is good. Yeah. What can we do with other people? They're going to be them. All we can do is love them fully and completely and unconditionally, which is hard enough. There are a lot of things in the church today that are a product of our culture and, uh, a product of whether it's uh, Finney's revivals and then how we started to have more of a transactional evangelism kind of approach, the things that we don't necessarily think about, but but they're pretty recent. The church's problem with dealing with questioners has been a part of church history from the beginning. I mean, the schisms in the church... Uh, the conciliar efforts where they would have their counsel was always dealing with someone they thought was asking a wrong question. So does that make this a, uh, a more difficult issue because it's got so many thousands of years? And now I'm just talking about the church, not the fact that this has probably been a problem for mankind from the beginning. But for the Christian church, this has always been a struggle, and we vacillate between burning the heretic or stoning them or drowning them uh, to just ignoring it. How does church history come into play here? It's hard for me to separate church history from human history because, as, as you kind of alluded to, uh, this, is, this is very much um, a human nature problem. It's, it's even arguably a neurological issue. Um, so what's the best way forward? I mean, ideally what we're talking about with a church is a spiritual methodology, a practice, a plan to follow a person who transcended human limitations um, through this theological idea we call incarnation, right? We mm -hmm. think there was this one special person, uh, more specialer than everyone else, named Jesus, and that he taught us better ways to live, right? Right. So when I look at at how um, Jesus dealt with people. He dealt with them honestly. He dealt with them where they were. Uh, he had, uh, you know, different words and different teachings for the uh, religious literate as opposed to the common person. Um, you know, you know, he had one approach for a woman at a well. Uh, he had another approach for scribes and Pharisees. Uh, he had another approach for tax collectors. And then we a completely different approach for this group called the crowd, you know, this sort of um, uneducated uh, field workers that started to just follow behind him and the disciples. He showed like pretty much um, infinite patience and compassion for that group. Um, so I, I think the whole point of what we're doing, of, of living in this movement, is learning to get past our tendency towards tribalism, learning to get past our desire to feel like we're the biggest, the best, the smartest, the strongest, the fastest, and the best, and simply live honestly and vulnerably with other people. Uh, that's what the church looks like to me. Um, and, you know, so I think we see in history, in church history, sometimes that starts to work, and you have these, like, revival period or, or these 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 you know little popcorn uh appearances of very healthy uh beautiful congregations of people that serve each other and help each other 
Uh, and then sooner or later, people get too human and uh, <laughs> turn on each other and, and fight like dogs. Um, and so I think what we, we strive for is a mindfulness and an awareness of our own behavior. And we're constantly measuring ourselves, not even necessarily other people, but ourselves in our community against how we understand Christ lived in community. Hmm. Um, and I understand, uh, sorry to any of my listeners who have come along who are non-religious, and that sounds like a lot of gobbledygook. I'm making tons of religious assumptions to even answer this question. No, well, that's all um, right. little aside for the atheists. But for those of us who have decided for whatever reason we are going to be followers of Christ, um, it's all about honest vulnerability and community. All right, one more question on questions. Are there any dangerous questions? No, I don't think so. Like, so, and I, I thought about this a lot philosophically, right? Like, um, could you make a case that how do we split atoms was a dangerous question? <laughs> um you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they answered it. Here's how you split atoms. And with that knowledge, we can level cities. And uh, with that knowledge, uh, some scientists believe we may have sealed the fate of humanity. We may, we may in the next 100, 150 years, annihilate our species or at very least our civilization. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's bad questions. I don't think knowledge is bad. I think new knowledge can be dangerous. And I think uh, being intentional about using knowledge in a way that's beneficial, look at nuclear medicine versus nuclear weapons. Um, and I think that applies to issues of spirit and theology and history. All these things um, are good when used in good contexts. Uh, but I'm certainly, I certainly know enough about the Bible and enough about um, academics to really wreck the faith of um, a younger or less informed Christian, right? I can raise all sorts of questions. I can point to all sorts of evidence that will put their life in a state of distress. That doesn't make the knowledge bad. It would make me bad. Hmm. Yeah, so not, yeah, just not being wise or loving, caring more about the knowledge that you want to impart than the person that you're imparting it to. I am all about what knowledge does. I, I just have no interest in knowledge for the sake of knowledge. I am very interested in how to use knowledge um, to make the world better. Into a crisis, times when I'm lying in bed just to get it all out. 
And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Boy, that was another uh, stimulating conversation, a, a good investment of our time. Uh, so grateful, uh, Aaron, that you led in that interview. Sure gave us a lot to think about, didn't he? <laughs> you know what? Uh, more and more, I, I love the way Mike phrases things after editing these uh, interviews, which are longer than what we're putting on here. There are just so many little phrases that stick out, and I love his heart for people. I mean, throughout this whole talk about truth and questions, what kept coming up for him was, I just love people. Mm. And so whatever answer there is to, wow, that question scares me, or I don't know how to respond to that answer, or I don't know how to give a response that won't hurt feelings, whatever, it all comes back to people. And I really think Jesus would be okay with that message. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think, as a reminder, God is really not scared of our questions, so we don't need to be scared of other people's questions or our own questions, that he's on the journey with us, unafraid. Yes. So we'd love to hear from folks. So if you haven't already liked us on Facebook, go to the Pirate Monk Facebook page. Uh, you will see the grand banner with all of your pirate hosts and co-hosts, uh, donning piratey uh, costumes. So like <laughs> us there and get involved with the conversation. We'd love to have you post something, post a question, post a thought. Uh, we have that uh, interview next week with Frankie Schaefer. So if you have questions for Frankie Schaefer, leave it on the site, and we will try to ask your questions. What a great opportunity yeah. that is. Or tweet at, at Pirate Monk Radio. Or send us an email at Pirate Monk Radio. Uh, let me see. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> Pirate, Pirate Monk Radio at gmail.com or Samson Podcast at gmail.com. And that's it for another week. So, uh, from the guys who are not in on Nate Street right now or here in San Luis Obispo, California, we want to say goodbye and we'll talk to you soon. Die till it's over and then.